Welcome back to Candidate Everyone. This Candidate Everyone episode is a Devar Torah, a word of biblical commentary. So uh, as I've mentioned before, I have some of these. And the reason I have these is because I think values are important in a candidate. And so you should understand what those values are and where they come from. And this week's values, uh, the discussion this week, is going to be about the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are, of course, quite a critical a little bit of documentation. Uh, they have an enormous historical impact, but they didn't come out of nowhere. So I'm not going to talk about uh, other commandment systems in the region and where they came from, what they look like. That's really not my particular interest. What I'm interested in is how the Jewish people got from slavery a few weeks earlier to the Ten Commandments. How do they make the progression from being people who don't have any laws, who are being managed by uh, other people who don't have any choices, to people who are ready to take on a legal system? So in a way, the Ten Commandments are really the first laws in the Torah. There are earlier mitzvot, earlier commandments, but they tend to be ritual in nature. Things like dedicating your firstborn, uh, or noticing or marking the beginning of the month, or bringing the Pesach offering. Rituals maintain values, they maintain traditions, they maintain ideas, but laws govern a society itself. So what we're seeing here is laws. What we're seeing here is the basic building blocks of a society and its relationships between man and God and between man and man. And the uh, just to go quickly through those laws, there's there's two sets of five, and each of the five sets has the same kind of things. They're uh, a demand that people respect uh, certain rights of other people. Uh, it's not that you have a right to X or a right to Z, or some people like to say responsibility for X or for Z. This is saying you have to respect certain rights that other people have. So you shall not murder. You have to respect other people's lives. You shall not commit adultery. You have to respect their relationships. Uh, you can't steal. You respect their property. Uh, you uh, yeah, you can't um, bear a false witness. You protect their reputations. You have to respect their reputations. And you can't have jealousy. And in, in light of the first five, you can't have jealousy as a suggestion that you, you have to respect their ability to be in peace. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if you look at the first five, you can see you have to notice or you have to mark that God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt. You have to give them a place in your lives. And so that's not murdering God. Uh, the second one is, is that you have to not worship other gods like adultery. That's respecting God's right to his relationships. The third one is that you can't steal God's name. You can't lift it up. Uh, and so this is the right to property. The fourth one is you should mark the Sabbath because for the rest of the world, the six days of creation and the seventh day is the way in which we uh, cement God's relationship. So you respect other people's reputations. And the final one is that you should honor your parents. And the way in which we maintain the relationship with God and keep it going for generation to generation is through the honoring of parents. And so this is respecting God's peace. So these are uh, shields uh, for the protection and the basic functioning of a society. Uh, at, the, at the outermost layer, you have peace, then you have reputations, then you have uh, property, then you have relationships, and then you have life itself. So we've gotten the system of laws, but you can write the most beautiful system of laws and it will have absolutely no impact in a society that isn't ready for the rule of law. To give an example, Afghanistan has a legal system. I believe it has a constitution. There's been all sorts of things written down, but they're fairly meaningless. This is not actually what governs the society. What governs the society is strong men, is tribal leaders, is clans, whatever it happens to be. It is not a society that has the rule of law. Writing laws done on paper and even having people sign them is not enough to create a society governed by law. So, 
This matters, this idea that writing laws on papers is not, not enough to create a society of laws. This concept matters both to society trying to protect the rule of law and those trying to establish it. We've seen again and again countries that have emerged from tyranny and they fall back into tyranny because they can't take on the rule of law. They don't have the mechanisms in their society to be a free people. So how do the Jewish people who were so recently enslaved go from ritual, which anybody can adopt, to the rule of law? How do they make this step? So there's a few stages that occur earlier on before this Torah reading, ones in which they learn some measure of independent responsibility, ones in which they begin to take the first steps necessary to actually act on their own behalf. But the most critical step, the thing that really unlocks the legal system, is the one that occurs right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. Yitro, otherwise known as Jethro, sees Moshe, otherwise known as Moses, deciding the law for all the people. From dawn until dusk, he's sitting there, everyone's coming to him, and they're telling him what their, their issues are, and he's deciding what should happen in each case. And Yitro says, Moses, Moshe, this isn't practical. You can't maintain this. You have to create a system of judges. You have to delegate. You have judges of 10 people, of 50 people, of 100 people, and so on. And then Moshe can serve as the supreme judge. He, Jethro, says he can handle the big cases. Moshe understands more about how legal systems work in a way, and he says, I can handle the hard cases. By handling the difficult cases, the easier cases can be handled by the lower-level judges. Now, we see this kind of concept of levels of judging, of levels of uh, jurisdiction courts uh, in, in many societies. We certainly have it in every modern society. But the difference here is you start with judges of 10. You're talking about legal systems that are embedded and knitted into uh, the society on a very small level. A judge of 10 is not a judge that is a professional. There's no way to pay for a judge that's a professional with 10 other people or nine other people involved uh, in supporting them. And so what you're dealing with is you're dealing with amateur judges. You're dealing with judges who are just knitted and who are, who are everyday people involved in the society. So after this system is established, the very next thing that happens is that the Ten Commandments are given. So the question is, why was this system, which by the way is the only commandment in the Torah not given by God, and is the only commandment in Torah not given by somebody who's Jewish? Obviously the two things are, are overlapping. But the Jethro, Yitro, was not Jewish, and he gave one of the most important administrative rules that are applied in the, in the Torah. So why was this administrative rule the critical step that enabled the people to actually take on a legal system? So I think there's two things in play here. First, this approach taught people to take responsibility and to judge. And judging requires both empathy and the ability to determine that somebody is wrong. You have to be able to distinguish between right and wrong and censure people who are doing the wrong thing. That's something that people are very reluctant to do, but that's something that's critical for a society that is actually able to improve itself. So if you make 10% of the population to judges, then you're giving the people the um, empathetic background, both positive and negative, needed to apply the law. But there's something else that's even more important that occurred. You see, the people were made judges before there was law. There was a legal structure for governing the people and for judging the people before there was law. Can you imagine how hard that would be? Let's say you're one of those people selected as a judge and you have to decide what is right, but you have no guidance beyond your own feelings. Or you want to argue your position in front of a judge, but you have no idea what makes for a legitimate argument. Or you decide what to do, but you don't know if your neighbor will be able to make a legal claim against you. So you're constantly acting, even when there's no court case. 
you're constantly acting from a position of uncertainty. So when you're put in that situation, any of those situations, you will want law because law will help you. Law will lift the burden of responsibility. It will bring clarity and it will create fairness and predictability. So you're yearning for law when you become a judge who has no law to judge with. And that, I think, is what enables the Ten Commandments. It isn't that they're forced on the people. It is that the people are eager for laws to govern them and to guide them. So how does this apply today? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you judge? Do you have to decide between people through the use of not only empathy, but censure? Do you have the ability to make the law and governance a part of your daily life? Or do you just occasionally vote for faraway people who decide an enormous amount of the rules that govern your life? And you just express the occasional opinion by voting and watch an apparatus that is largely immune to you decide everything. In the U.S., I think that faraway government is increasingly the reality. And so the rule of law is undone. Rule by law, law people yearn for, is replaced by rule through bureaucratic fiat essentially becomes rule by force. And so there's no yearning for law when force is all that the law represents. In fact, I would imagine many people in the situation, even though a majority might vote for the Congress and might vote for the, for the president or whoever it happens to be who's executing the laws, I think a majority of people might well yearn for the rule of law to be undermined because they don't feel a connection to it. So what can we do? I think we should make the president much less powerful. I think we should make the Congress much less powerful. I think we should make law more local. Rather than a faraway government determining the vast majority of our laws, we should have local governments with far more power. With this, people will have a voice in law, they'll have a part in law, and they'll develop a desire for law that makes sense to them. Yes, there are national needs, but Singapore, Hong Kong, and other city-states have shown that efficiencies in government scale are not quite as valuable as people might think. I think a federal government can be far more useful by focusing on the interaction between smaller governments and the regulation of those governments rather than on the governance and regulations of ordinary citizens in their day-to-day -day lives. I've talked a lot about using small cities overseas as an apparatus by which you can integrate the rule of law, you can integrate other ideas into other societies. But I think the same thing applies within the United States itself. By virtue of having this opportunity for competing in variant legal systems, not just legal systems, but variant ways of governance on a local level within the U.S., you'll have the opportunity to really create a vibrant uh, competition between governments that will make the country as a whole far stronger as a result. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful Shabbat. 